Good morning, everyone. I hope you're enjoying your summer. This is Terry here in South Carolina. And uh, my goal is just to give you a brief overview of Bridges to Health and Healthcare. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, so that Marlena can have most of um, the time today to explain how um, the software processes that Empower develops can uh, be systemic planning for patients. And uh, we're looking at an integrated health model here, which would include um, the community uh, organizations that can assist patients who may be under-resourced, as well as dental, uh, mental health, uh, health, and whatever um, other aspects of integrated health you're using in your systems. So the first thing that I wanted to show you was that uh, Bridges is indeed a systemic uh, planning uh, concept or model. Uh, we use three lenses and we look at things uh, from the economic class lens on really basically the social interactions that take place as individuals uh, in communities and within our organizations. So if you're working in an organization um, such as in health or substance abuse and you have very diverse socioeconomic um, patients or clients, um, this would be uh, the continuum that you would look at. So it's not just about you know, helping the patient to understand, it's also about the institution and the community uh, working together in new ways. And using the economic class lens can be pretty powerful because you see things that you do every day in a very different way. For example, one of the things that um, we believe and have, uh, I think we've all experienced is that our institutions tend to be focused on choice and future story, which actually um, are very much uh, a part of the economic experience in the middle class. So we just basically say that our institutions are usually designed from a middle class lens and perspective. Well, when you have critical mass of patients or clients coming from generational poverty, there may be a different way to approach this. So that's what Bridges is about. So let me continue. Um, I'm going to show you this mental model for individual planning, but it can include, of course, the institution and the community. And I just wanted to give you this as a teaser right now. This is the, the planning piece that I will be focused on today once I do the overview of Bridges. And then we'll go to um, Marlena and Empower and talk about the more systemic planning through institutions and communities and what that impact might be. Uh, part of this uh, original, let me show you, mental model for disease ma management is this little support team. Um, looks like an icon here where you uh, actually ask the patient to put themselves in the middle and then they show their support. Thank you, David. Then they show their support for um, their treatment or their change process. So uh, this one. This is really the large-scale view of that uh, tiny little icon that was on the original um, planning model it just showed you. So uh, this is AHA process. It's the roots of who we are. It's um, looking at the entire community and, and all of the sectors. I will say that there's one sector, if you will, missing here, which is uh, that individuals in poverty, specifically those that go through our getting ahead uh, curriculum are also 
at this table. And um, we have a community-wide approach. We address all the causes of poverty, uh, not just individual and policy, uh, but all of them. And then we look at the individuals of resources in order to look for strengths and to view patients and clients uh, in every economic class as problem solvers. I'm not sure why I'm seeing that again. This is just um, quickly the age-adjusted percentage of respondent assessed health status. In other words, this is poverty intersected with uh, health status. And so we've got uh, those who are poor in the blue, those who are near poor, which I would say would be probably what we would call working poor, which is up to 200% of the federal poverty line. And these are um, just a cohort of people who are not in poverty at all. And as you can see, there are some individuals in poverty who report excellent health, but much more for those who are uh, not poor at all. And then if you look at the other end of the continuum, uh, in poverty there are more people who are reporting fair and um, poor health. So much of the public health research, which is called population health, really uh, shows a very clear line between the stress of poverty, the socioeconomic status, uh, the marginalization of poverty, um, as you know, even a neurotoxin to our brains as we're developing uh, neural pathways from birth to three, the stress and the cortisol that a mother uh, feels, um, the stress and the cortisol levels can actually uh, reach the baby during pregnancy. So there's a lot of stress that's associated with poverty. So along with access to healthcare, the fact of just being in poverty can have an um, impact, negative impact on your health. Uh, they predict access to health care is about 10% um, of the cause of these health care disparities. So here's the AAA. Those of you that are in health care are probably pretty familiar with this. Um, the triple aim, I think, is it's a model for health, but I think that every uh, institution can use this. Everyone wants to improve outcomes. Uh, everyone sh should be focused on improving the experience of the patient or the individual. And then, of course, keeping costs down and keeping things affordable. It's a big push, and there's so much accountability in every sector these days. Somebody's always counting beans to see what you are doing, how you are uh, improving your outcomes, and at what cost. So the triple aim um, is interesting because sometimes people do see that these two are related, but they don't necessarily see how the patient experience um, can be related to health outcomes or to um, in, in reducing costs. And I think the last time somebody said, how did patient outcomes reduce costs? And that is, uh, it's beyond just knowing what diseases cause people to be super users or super utilizers of healthcare. And this can happen um, in dental and in substance abuse as well. So the experience of poverty in and of itself can actually have a negative impact on uh, the health outcomes and you know, on cost. And so how we view the patients and how we interact with the patient or the client can increase the chances that, that there will be treatment compliance. And so that is the relationship between all three of these areas. So um, I've been uh, looking at some more specific information. I thought that it was interesting that there are three patient groups actually that are essential 
to success in population health management. And population health is one of the um, mandates, if you will, of new healthcare reform. In other words, you have to know who you are serving and you have to uh, be able to see the risk factors and to respond to this upfront so that we do not increase costs with unnecessary readmissions and people who are not treatment compliant using the system at high cost. So uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, that's what, what's coming out now is that there are actually three patient groups to look at. The high-risk patient who consumes most of the healthcare services uh, has to have that con contact or active case management. So it's sort of like uh, for those of us who have been in social services, it's like health is now seeing the benefit of that monitoring, that case management, and within that, building those relationships of mutual respect and having one person be responsible for that patient because, you know, it's, it's all about saving costs in the long term. So if you have to pay a case manager, but it's more effective in the long term, it's going to be um, a reduction in costs. The second group is likely to become high risk. And I thought it's interesting that one of the strategies is peer mentors here, health education. But the medical home, which provides the um, primary care physicians for those who may not have access otherwise, is part of this. But what's interesting is they're saying the medical home is really not what is needed for the high-risk user or the high-risk patient. Now, high-risk is usually determined by the healthcare system, by the disease. But our focus is also what, who is that person? What are the demographics of that person? What is the zip code of that person? So is economic class, culture, gender, ethnicity also having an impact on whether or not that person is going to be uh, able to be treatment compliant? Okay. Um, we uh, actually, um, Mary Claire in Texas, and I uh, looked this over, and what she helped us to do was look at the time spent with the patient in the new healthcare uh, reform. So the clinical processes and procedures, including the medical home, would be in this category here. Here's the design piece, um, and these are affordable care organizations where groups of uh, healthcare providers join together and agree to um, take a certain population that may be high-risk uh, users of healthcare, and then to um, to basically determine at what cost that they can provide good outcomes for that uh, population. That's another piece of population health. And over here is the new uh, or the newer way of viewing healthcare, which is those who are high-risk patients or at risk of being high-risk patients actually have an extra level of management. And so as we're looking at this today, I was looking at all the planning that goes place here, all the planning that must be in place here, and all the planning that is in place when you're working one-on-one -on -one in case management. And so I really like the model that Empower is using today because it's so community-wide um, and not at all isolating uh, just health or just dental or just substance abuse. Um, and we really have some good outcomes with that that she's going to share. This is the mental model of the poverty experience um, that has been developed by our Getting Ahead graduates. Um, this is a 15-week, 10 to 15-week uh, curriculum that individuals in poverty 
can attend um, to look over all of the bridges um, concepts, which include looking at the economic um, experience and different economic classes, what may be the, the priorities, or as we say, the hidden rules of these environments. How do you uh, learn new hidden rules so that you can be successful in other environments or in, in terms of health, that would be how do I build my resources and my social capital? Who will be my partners in this so that I can have a sustainable life and a well life? So I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but these are just generally what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, when we poverty, what actions do we take? Um, and so, as you can see, relationships is really a strategy uh, in poverty because you may be very under-resourced in the other areas, so the relationships that you do have tend to be critical to survival. Um, and knowing this and understanding this, it's a lot of questions for us in terms of why does a patient do this or why would a patient not do that? Um, it's not just a matter of do I, does the patient have food, transportation, housing, all of those are critical, yes. But it's also a matter of after living in this environment that's under-resourced for generation, what does that person view health as and quality of life as? Um, the middle class assumes everyone has experienced choice and positive consequences of those choices and has access to that future thinking and future story. So when you're planning with patients who really do not have that sort of focus on planning and future story because poverty is such a now world it's actually called the tyranny of the moment what do you use or how do we need to understand how to communicate differently if this is a missing piece when you're working with individuals who may not believe in choice consequence and future story or actively as an active focus um you are going to there, folks are going to miss the piece. I mean, the patient is going to miss the future story. So we use mental models and drawings. And of course, uh, Marlene is going to show you huge software pieces that also include individual planning with the patient. So the bottom line is that this is a different world than the middle class. And understanding the impact of this experience of poverty is huge. Um, just briefly. Oh, here's some of the explosions that can happen when sometimes when we're in this experience of poverty, it's not uncommon that one aspect of our life will explode and there will be a cascade of explosions that follow that because it's such a vulnerable, tentative group, a set of resources. So that's a pretty stressful world. This is uh, Dr. Marmot, uh, Sir Michael Marmot's um, Link, and he is a population health researcher, very highly regarded, and he supports the process of economic and other environments impacting group efficacy. In other words, if we are living in a neighborhood in poverty for three generations, we've kind of figured out how to survive that poverty, or in middle class, how to get ahead within the middle class. Um, <clears throat> so Collective behaviors and healthcare choices can be hugely impacted by the environment, and that's a that's a real uh, strength in terms of knowing this research, this population health research, as you're beginning to look at the bridges lens. Um, so here's our mental model of poverty, and here are 
uh, Dr. Marmot and other population health researchers a list of impact that come out of uh, this experience of poverty, especially very long poverty and very um, low levels of resources for a long period of time. And this is the Bridges uh, interpretation of how that would be group efficacy. How do we survive together? What are our hidden rules? How do we communicate in different economic classes? How might our priorities be different in different environments? And um, we call like the sum of these two the hidden rules or expectations that individuals may have or may not have, but generally the environment pushes certain hidden rules of experience and, and strategizing. So, you know, if you're looking at everybody as a problem solver, no matter what their economic class or story and experience, then you're going to have to understand that um, each of those sets of resources within that economic class are going to have very different hidden rules or ways of surviving or thriving within that uh, environment. So this is, sounds like, you know, sociology 101. Basically, it's just a reminder to look at who is your patient. What is the planning capacity of your patient? What time frame does your patient live in? Is it now? Is it future story? Is it in the past? How does that person view choice? Does that person have hope? Those aspects of looking at that individual, as we all need to be looked at as individuals, is definitely a part of the entire continuum of health and healthcare. Um, also, we tend to want to motivate people towards quality of life when they never experienced it. So this is one of the things that we discuss in Bridges to Health and Healthcare. How do you really motivate someone um, based on their own experience? I was just mentioning this destiny piece. Uh, we believe in fate. We either believe in choice or we believe in fate or noblesse oblige, which means I have a noble obligation or to give back if I'm privileged. Uh, it is this piece of fadedness and the interaction between the, the choice of, of the middle class system, believing in choice and that you can change future with good stories now just may not resonate if someone believes they are fated and has lost hope. And I think that any practitioner knows that you may experience groups of people within different settings, uh, whether culture, ethnicity, economic class, where people have to live in the now and tend not to believe much in their future story because they've not had good experiences with choices having an impact on future story. So it's something to consider. Uh, we certainly don't want to say that every individual in any of these economic experiences have this particular hidden role, but I would say the environment itself may push these different hidden rules or something um, something else that may not be written here that you may have experienced, something in between the lines, perhaps. Um, we also look briefly at bridges at, not briefly, but briefly today, we may have a whole system of uh, middle-class institutions and maybe perhaps those who have lived in the middle class for very long periods of time and in well tend to use a very get-to-the-point formal way of communicating stories have a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, in other environments, people may use more casual story structure. It might not have a beginning, middle, and an end. It might start out with the most exciting thing that happened. 
Um, for example, if a, ch if a child is brought in by the mother, she may say, you know, he, he threw up on the stairs, he threw up in the kitchen, he threw up in the bathroom, and, you know, go into the story of every detail that happened and then go off on different tangents from that story. And all you may be seeking is, okay, what to happen? You know, how did it happen? And it doesn't seem to have any general, uh, it's not being held together by sequence. And so it's a great way to tell stories, the casual register, but usually our systems do not allow time uh, to be respectful when somebody is using the casual story structure and the casual register. Uh, and sometimes we are irritated because we, we want somebody to get to the point, which is a very middle class way of viewing things. So how we look at how do we, how do we communicate when we're planning and do we have time to sit and you know, listen and draw conclusions together as we're planning with somebody. So because there's so much case management in healthcare now, there are more opportunities to understand that you, you have to have the time. Someone has to have the time to communicate uh, and to learn. And if you if somebody's going on for 10 minutes and 10 minutes later, you're going, what are we talking about? You know, it's, it's sort of that story. Um, if you look at your watch in, within this 10 minutes, you may have broken relationship with that individual because that's their expectation, the patient's expectation of communication, but here's the system's expectation of communication. So we have, uh, have to view that as well when we're planning. Um, this is just our mental model of individual resources. We include social capital or social support. These are the people that help you get by. These are the people that help you get ahead. And so in our model that I'm going to share with you today, we have patient analyzing both of those. This is our this is to say people, all of us, are problem solvers and, and have strengths. And that this is a very powerful piece. I would say this is you. Your economic class pie chart is not you, but uh, this would be the essence of who that person, who, you, who we all are. Okay, so quickly for the models, and Marlena has some time. I just, I think I've shared this with you before. I don't know if you have seen it, but uh, this was basically working with a high-risk patient, uh, somebody who uh, had lower resources. How would you communicate the treatment plan and the outcomes if someone does not focus on future story? Um, the first thing we need is a mental model for time. So we have a timeline here, and we are showing past, present, and future. And uh, actually, this was developed by Phil Duvall and Sarah Gary in Marion, Ohio, and they truly believe the patient should be drawing this, if at all possible. It takes a little more time for that, but you can see how that would benefit the, the patient's understanding. So the patient's saying, okay, I've had a rocky road here because I've had two heart attacks. I now have I've had high blood pressure all these years leading up to the now, which is where I am right here. Um, and here's the future story, which may actually be uh, rather abstract to the individual who may be living in the tyranny of the moment or the nowness of poverty. Um, and so the uh, health provider helps that person to understand their health strength has been declining if they follow their treatment program, probably, or their treatment uh, regime, it would probably be uh, no fair gain, but if not, uh, it will decline. And you might say, well, we're talking about our, with our patients about this. But the understanding here is if planning is new learning, 
if somebody, you know, doesn't have a to-do list where they're crossing off things all of the time that they do and then you know, going back and writing things that they didn't have on their list that they've completed just so they can cross it off. I mean, that's a really future story orientation. Not everybody lives there. So the idea here is that the model is what is important and that this patient can take this back uh, to his or her family and remind themselves this is what's going to happen. We also say uh, because relationship may be so powerful for that person within uh, the poverty environment, there might be some milestones that they want to see in their lives that could be put in here, whether it's a graduation, a wedding, a birth of a grandchild, whatever you want to be able to walk to and be well for. Um, so that is part of you know looking and working with somebody who may be sort of stuck in that tyranny of the moment and needs to have a concrete example of how their treatment is going to have an impact on their life and their future story. Um, this mental model, um, I want to share with you really quickly, also developed by Phil and um, Sarah. As you can see, it also represents the um, past, the present, and the future because, again, we tend to live in the now when we're in poverty. Actually, the middle class is so future-oriented uh, because the present is a given. You don't have to worry about, you know, uh, eating today or having a place uh, to stay today or what you're going to, you know, whether or not your car is going to start today. Uh, you have a career, which is very future story rather than a job, typically in, you know, that middle class environment. Uh, we say that those in um, the middle class have to take uh, yoga to remember there is a present. So that's just a, a bit of a joke. But we start here in the present, and you work on the present by talking with the patient about what you expect to encounter when they leave your care. So who will pick you up? Who is living with you? Uh, what you know about your disease? What do they know about your disease? How do you think they'll react to the plans you're making um, with, with the new lifestyle, perhaps, or the medications that you need? Uh, who will help you to take those medications? How will you pay for the medications that you need? All of these questions that a social worker or patient navigator might ask uh, are put into a mental model. And so then we'll, they work on the past together if necessary, and then they predict the outcome of the future. Because that whole idea of cause and effect and prediction of the future uh, is not really part of living in the moment. Um, so I will just go briefly through here and show you um, this was a possible, as I look at their support team, here's me in the middle, and how powerful are these relationships between treatment compliance and social support for change? So here we have in the inner circle that person bonding social capital or the people who are part of their inner circle of their life. And the lines indicate whether or not that person is really going to be able to be supportive. And, of course, you can talk about the why or the why not. But as you see with this person who actually um, wanted to quit smoking because of diabetes and other issues, um, everybody else in the family smoked. And these lines, the strength of them, indicate how strongly that person might actually support uh, the patient to, uh, to you know, complete their uh, smoking cessation classes and and actually stop smoking, this friend would be uh, very much uh, supportive. Uh, and out here is the, the potential uh, bridging social capital. 
And we put support group in here because a lot of times our, our bridging social capital or those that help us to get ahead and have the big picture and help us with planning or being paid. So it's really great to include some peer support as well because I think we all know it's a pretty sad state of affairs when every, all of our social bridging social capital uh, is being paid. So that's a, sort of an innovative approach that many of you have already taken, I'm sure. And finally, uh, living in an unpredictable environment and using a very casual story structure, um, pretty much you don't learn to plan. And if you don't learn to plan, you cannot see cause and effect. If you can't see cause and effect, you might not be able to identify choice and consequence. If you uh, can't identify choice and consequence and uh, plan, then you will not be able to predict what the future story might be. So you will end up living in the, in the tyranny of the moment with your health as well as other aspects of your life. So I, I hope that uh, this gives you uh, the framework for what Marlena is going to share. Hi, Hi Marlena. Terry, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. And um, again, I'm Marlena. I'm the Collaborative Development Coordinator at Supply Corps, home of the Empower System. Empower is a, um, in short, it's an interactive cloud-based tool that supports the real-time collaboration of common care plans. It's also the tool that defines measures and shares the success of the future stories that Terry was speaking of. To cast a vision and so that, so that no one gets lost, we're gonna be discussing um, what care plan case management as a community looks like versus case management in silos. Why are we reaching out to healthcare? Well, I think we can all agree that um, any life recovery plan relies on an individual being healthy. And that makes you as healthcare providers, um, even if only by default, the backbone of any community. And as Terry was talking about, the social determinants play a role in an individual's ability to stay healthy or get healthy. And through our years of working with providers, the, the, the human service community that are actually working with your, your patients, we've learned that they desperately need the two more closely aligned. It's a missing link in their continuum of care. So in order to maximize your impact on population health, your super utilizers, which is primarily who we're talking about, need their entire care team, community service providers, and you working together. I also think we could agree that the current system is broken. We have increasing social issues, decreasing resources, and the needles just aren't moving up. And we see healthcare as a big part of the solution. This is how it is now. What you see here is what we currently have. We have uh, in many communities across the country, each of these blocks represents a typical uh, provider type that a super user might be using in your community. This is you right here, health. And what ends up happening is um, all of these are disconnected. They're doing a great job, but they're disconnected. So it makes them a series of isolated specialists. And what ends up happening is the individuals running around to a series of, of specialists who are using systems that don't even communicate with each other. To shine a different light on and imagine what it would be like if our physician didn't communicate with our pharmacist. Yet this is exactly what's happening in the lives of those who regularly use social services. Also, when super users or uh, super utilizers leave your office, they typically don't go home the same way we do. Their life cycle is much different in our, than ours. They're often in crisis and they need a real-time collaboration of services. Because of all of this, 
And while programs or, or organizations themselves might be able to report success, the participants themselves are obviously not getting any better. As a matter of fact, the lack of communication and coordination can actually serve to prolong and enable distress. Adding to the confusion, each of these providers usually has their own care plan when what the individual really needs is a single holistic plan. So today what we have are multiple agencies using multiple systems, creating multiple plans, and we scratch our heads wondering why they just don't get better. But it doesn't have to be this way. We live in a time where we have access to technology that gives us information like no other generation before. And a better way to serve this target population, I think, would be to use the technology that's available to us to share care plans that actually create mutually reinforcing activities to strengthen the continuity of care rather than break it down. Think of achieving better health with a shared care plan like building a new home. You have a contractor, um, but he knows that he can't do it alone. He's going to need plumbers, pipe fitters. He needs subcontractors. So he calls them in. Not only does he call in the subcontractors, but he actually shares his blueprint with them. He shares the blueprint with them because he knows that if he doesn't, the house isn't going to be stable. It may not even stand. So like contractors working off the same blueprint, you can work with your community social service providers to work off a common care plan and Empower can help you do that. There's a lot of technology available and there's always something new and different. We're different because we um, set ourselves apart because we're participant-centered versus program-centered. While most technology systems are built around agencies or program types, such as health, housing, education, our system um, is built around the, the participant. The other way actually creates the silos was also developed to be highly customizable to allow providers of all types to be able to use a system. We were also built around the concept of sharing information. It has a simple yet robust HIPAA compliant uh, sharing matrix that will allow you to share the information that needs to be shared. Our attorney is the uh, a healthcare attorney. He was the has written several white papers on HIPAA compliance. In a minute, I'm going to show you the Empower system, but before I do that, I want to keep in mind that this really isn't about technology. It's about the people that technology serves. So to remind us why we all do what we do, I want to introduce Debbie. She signed a release. She wants her story shared. Um, she came to one of our Empower partner agencies in 2008. She was 48 years old, had been living in a shelter. She was crying and depressed through most of the intake and admitted she had suicidal thoughts just that morning. She had evident mental health concerns, so was referred um, using the Empower system to somebody that could help her with that. She was also referred to a health clinic for some medical assistance and to the local women's housing programs also using Empower. Two months into the process, she began volunteering at the agency that she walked into to develop her office skills. And then she was referred uh, to a local training program for a medical coding class. She obtained a tutor to assist her in studying, and she graduated, took her certification test, and passed. Yay! She began working at the community college after that. She got a car, secured an apartment, and then she even actually, at one point during this time, held a fundraiser that raised $1,000 for a local women's shelter. In December of 2012, she was promoted. And in April of 2013, Ala Bridges Out of Poverty Style, she became a board member of the same organization that helped her five years earlier. 
During this process, she received dentures and a makeover. And this is Debbie today. So Debbie, like your super users, users or super utilizers, she had multiple life plans that didn't fit neatly into one or two categories. Empower and the sharing of information remove that obstacle. While the problem itself is complex, it's not necessarily complicated, it's only complicated due to lack of communication and planning. This picture to me is just amazing. I just, um, I just, it just blows my mind. I mean, I look at her and I don't just see, just like in a lot of other makeovers, this is life transformation. I, you don't just see dentures in a haircut. You see a woman, you can see it in her eyes. To respect everyone's time, I'm just going to hit the high notes, focusing mostly on the sharing features, those same features that allowed Debbie to break down the barriers that had been holding her back for years. I'll skip the login prop process for demo purposes, but know that Empower is role-based, meaning the system set up to allow you to restrict access based on roles. We have a lot of organizations. We have a lot of roles in the system already, and we even have organizations that create custom roles where they want somebody at the front desk only to do check-in and, and things like that, so they don't want them to see the whole system. Okay, what you're looking at right here is the main dashboard. This is where uh, the case manager or nurse case manager can manage his or her caseload. All of it's important in daily activity, but I'm just going to go over a few things that make it unique. Right here, this is coming due. This shows any goals or assessments that I've set for my patients. We use red, green, and yellow wherever possible to allow for quick vis visualization. Red is due this week or past due. Yellow is due in the next two weeks, and green is uh, three weeks out. You can just click on the goal and right, go right into it, pick up the phone and contact them to follow up if you feel it's necessary or modify the goal however you want to manage your caseload. This right here, this is a seemingly unimportant widget here, upcoming birthdays, but it actually, case managers have told us, helps them to maintain relationships with their clients. Sometimes this your your call might be the only call they got that day. Down here on the left, participant activity. Anytime I've logged a visit in the last 30 days, it's going to show up in this widget. This allows me when my when my patient or client tells me that they forgot the phone number or don't have the address and they'll call me back, I just have to click into the record right here and just add it. Over here we have incoming notifications. These are this is our closed loop referral system. So instead of just referring somebody to an agency and not knowing what happened or if they even showed up at all, this actually shoots out a message to the person if they're using Empower or if they're not in using Empower, there's a way to do it as well. It sends an email. But what happens is I've, I've received this referral from Uptown Empowerment Center on 6-5 for your attest. So you click on the referral and it tells me exactly where it came from, who the referring agency was, the name of the person, the name of the participant because they signed a release. And she even wrote me a note. She didn't have to, but she, she wrote me a note um, about some medical issues and memory issues and asked me to, to let her know when her appointment was. And I could type a response note to her but I'm not going to, and this is the mark complete box. That will be important, I'll show you that later. Going back to the screen, 
Over on the left are just different ways to get into the Empower system. It was developed so that there were multiple ways to get to multiple different places with multiple features in the system so that each case manager or user could do what was comfortable for them. I like using the quick client name search and it brings up any name that's similar to my client or patient, which is your attest. So I'm gonna click on her and these up on the top are the same as over on the side. And I go to the client profile first. Like I said, this is gonna be just an overview. You can contact me anytime if you want to um, take a deeper dive. What you're looking at right now is Empower's 15 areas of, original 15 areas of life. Um, they cover and Bridges resource, the Bridges 11 resources. The Empower 15 areas of life cover the objective components that are shown necessary in whole life recovery. Anything from identification to, to housing, to health, to mental health, relationships, transportation. And the Bridges 11 resources, which cover the more subjective personal resource components, such as hidden rules and emotional stability. The graph here for anybody that's having a getting ahead class, these are the responses to the getting ahead fields. There is some overlap, but they complement each other well to provide a complete package. You don't have to have all the categories. You don't have to have the bridges tabs. You don't even have to have all of these tabs. We have every client modifies them how they need to. You can add tabs or remove them. For example, some communities create a community intake tab and this where they can show, store data that they all agreed they wanted answered on the first visit. This is also useful to fulfill funding requirements. In addition to all of the categories being able to be modified, the same is true for all of the fields. You can add or remove fields. You can change the name of them. All of the dropdowns can be easily modified as well. I'm only gonna click on one tab and show you how each, each tab is set up. They're typically set up the same way. You can view collaborative data or my data. What collaborative data means is that if you have several Empower partners, anytime this question, the last time this question was asked in the community, it was answered as yes. So for instance, she said she was pregnant somewhere in the continuum, but my data still shows no. So when, when Yura comes in to see me, I'm gonna see that and I'm gonna ask her about it. The H right here is stands for history. It shows you the history of each field and you can see that on 610 at 1053, the response was yes. And it was done by me, oddly, at Uptown Empowerment Center. Again, all of these fields can be changed. You can, you can add fields, you can remove fields that don't apply to your organization and you can change dropdowns. Each, each category also has a area where you can add clinical notes or notes. This note indicates the clients missed the last two appointments due to transportation. Even though this is a demo person, this is an actual concern in a lot of people's lives. Typically what happens is a case manager or navigator will be working with a client or patient and as they go through the questions, they, they come up with goals. For instance, Yura does not have a medical card, 
So I'm going to add a goal for her to get one. Right here, you'll see the target date and the follow-up date. This is the follow-up dates. That's the same follow-up date on the dashboard that you saw with the red, green, and yellow. I'm going to set the goal of get a medical card, but I know that I already have set that. I just want to show you so that you can see what it looks like using a collaborative database. It's actually going to stop me from setting it up and let me know that it's already been set. There's the screen that tells me who set it, and it tells me that um, if I set it, it will result in a duplicate goal being set, and it gives me the option to set it or not set it. I'm not going to set it, but I could if I wanted to. All that mainly does is allows, uh, allows communication within the community. The, the case manager could choose to ping and send an email to the case manager who set that goal and ask about the status of it or just set the goal themselves, however they wanted to work. Once it's set, you'll see it all on the goals and notes screen. This is where they all accumulate. These are the goals that I'm working on with her. I've got that medical card goal with the target's date and a follow-up date that's in process. Click on it right here, and this is the referral that you saw on the dashboard. Remember when I told you that there would be a check complete box? This is how I know that the referral is complete. I'm also going to get an internal email and an external email notifying me that there was a change, and it does not contain any PHI. It just lets me know that I have mail and, and Empower. So back to the screen, this is what I'm working on with you're a test. And these are the notes that I have. If I click on all providers, it allows me to see what's happening in the community. This is the blueprint I was talking about. You're not just sharing pieces of data. A lot of systems share pieces of data. This is actually sharing a plan. You can see what other agencies are doing right here. You can see that um, Uptown Empowerment Center staff MD set a goal of getting a physical exam. Hope House is working with her on an ID card. Uptown Empowerment Center is also working to get her into crisis housing, and Hope House is helping her get a sponsor. And these are the notes that were also set by the different providers. All of this has to be done by a secure release of information. I will show you that in a minute. But in addition, each note can be marked private. So therefore, even if you're sharing the health tab, but you want to mark a note private, you have the ability to mark the note private within the note right here. I'm not going to go into these, but we have a notepad resources. So you can see what resource you can, you can manage the resources that you're allocating as well as what's in the community. You can upload client documents. You can manage the household here by adding children and other family members. And there's an eligibility screener. None of this sharing would be possible, though, without the um, release of information. It is HIPAA compliant. Like I said, our attorney that we worked on, we selected him because he was the attorney for the hospital. And this allows you to safely share or not share information that may be affecting um, the patients that you're seeing. Green means, again, it's red, yellow, green. Green means sharing. Yellow means view only. And red is no sharing. It's easy to change. 
Right over on the left, you see the names of the agencies that are involved in this particular demo. Up on the top are the different tabs. I might say that I don't want Center for Families to have access to any of my information, and I'm going to block them out. And right here, I'm going to say I'll share information with everybody except my mental health. So I just blocked them out. But I might say I do want to share my mental health with MD Community Health because that's what you're helping me with. So I'm going to disclose it. And then the yellow means receive only. This is useful for organizations such as um, domestic violence shelters, um, organizations that can't or that feel they can't be a part of a system like this. It can actually, even though it says view only here, what we've done in the past is we block it on the back end to reduce human error. So even if a case manager neglected to do it here, their information would never go out because it was fully blocked on the back end. And lastly, I'm going to show you our Izenda ad hoc reporting tool. This allows you to create, view, and export all of your efforts. We have standard stock reports. This is just a demo system but it allows you to also create your own reports. This is just a demo of what it could look like um, in a continuum of a goal completion report. You can see all the tabs here and you can see that 62 addictions, um, there's been 62 addictions goals set and these are just all the different goals that have been set. The primary goal in the community community that's been set is identification. So you're able to tell right away that identification is a big issue for people that are using social services. Then down on the bottom, we can see who primarily is setting the goals. And right here, we show the status of the goals. There's 793 total goals in this particular continuum. 610 are in process, 126 are completed, and so on. And then down here is just telling you what, what the goal title was, sample, who it was created by in the organization. Like I said, this is just, just a sample. There's several other features in the, uh, the Empower system that I wasn't able to go through. We do have assessments and we have classroom model, a classroom model, um, but you can call me anytime and All I can right. go over that with you or you can call our sales department. But um, that is it for my 30,000 foot view. I hope I was able to cast a vision. Thank you much. Franklin asked if it integrates with existing EMR data. Franklin, we are working with another provider and, and doing some work with that. And we've got something out there, but it's not, it's not ready. But it's definitely on the radar. HIPAA is a huge us. Um, we don't want the, the client's data to go anywhere it's not supposed to go either. So. We've got a lot of security in place, but we do have integration capabilities as well and transferring data, just simple data. If you don't want to do full integration, we can do exports of you know, Excel files and things like that. What we found is that a lot of organizations think that they need the, the full money shared, but they really don't. They just need some data to avoid double entry. So um, we like to, to sit down with each one and work with that. The company that 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 SupplyCore actually has been working with the Department of Defense for the last 25 years, 
and they've successfully integrated with several systems doing that. And we've integrated ourselves with the Illinois Department of Corrections and have the first in the nation integration with the Department of Corrections where data is coming directly from a Department of Corrections into a community database so that when their feet hit the street, the, the community is able to help them. Uh, thanks again, folks. Okay. We thank you all very much thanks, as Dan. well. Thanks. Much.